So when I arrived at the hospital, the doctor had just left, but her presence was very much known from the sobs and the tears in the room. It's terminal, a few weeks, maybe a month, perhaps a little longer, but no promises, really no treatment options. But there were a lot of questions. So pastor, what's gonna happen to me when I die? You'll be brought into the presence of God. Then what? Pure worship. What does that mean? Well, it's not 8.15 or 10.45. It doesn't require an organ or a hymnal. It just means that you're going to live forever as the person that God created you to be. There was silence, which, by the way, a few years earlier I would have tried to have filled, but I've gotten just that much smarter, and so I let the silence just sit there, even though it was very uncomfortable for all of us. The silence was finally broken. So how do you know this? I said, it's in the Bible. Yeah, I know that, but... Can you prove it? Can you give me something to hold on to? Well, the only person who died and came back to life and told us what happened was Jesus. So either everything he said is true or it isn't. But I really want some proof. I know you do. But as hard as this is, this is why we talk about being saved by grace through faith. Then I shared this analogy. You're on a plane flying blissfully through the sky. You're sitting there reading or looking out the window. Everything's fine. And then there's a really loud bang. And suddenly the flight attendants are screaming, brace, brace, brace. And your mind suddenly says, okay, I got to remember that emergency briefing that took place, you know, at the beginning of the flight. Do I know where the exit is? Do, do I know how to get there? I, you know, it, it, do I understand all this? And by the way, once you realize you're not alone, you know where the exit is that the flight attendant's going to be right there to help you get out, you can take a deep breath and ride it out. So a few days later, after a lot of prayer and wrestling with God, he knew where he was ready. And by the way, this is something that has to come from inside you. Nobody can teach it to you or tell it to you. It's something that you have to wrestle with and come to on your own. Either everything that you have been taught and read and confessed is true or it isn't. And if it's not, then it doesn't really matter. But if it is true, then everything's going to be okay. Now, it's still going to be painful. It's not going to be easy. It can't be. But it's all going to be okay. You know, the last time I played video games, you had to put a quarter into Pac-Man or Space Invaders, and they were at, yeah, video arcades. Um, in order to get more points, you had to navigate the maze. And all along the way, there were either aliens or ghosts that were trying to either gobble you up or blow you up. There were no cheat codes, no YouTube videos to show you how to, to do better. It just simply took a lot of patience, a lot of experience, and a lot of quarters. Now, the other night, as Nancy and I were driving home, I found myself in the midst of a giant video game on the H1. We were trying to get from Maia to Waipahu. And there were aliens and ghosts trying to gobble us up and blow us up. Okay, they were actually Toyotas and Hondas, but they might as well have been aliens and ghosts. I would have preferred the Pac-Man theme song or the bleeps and blips of Space Invaders instead of the horns, the screeching tires, and the revving loud engines. There came a point where my mind went all the way back to my teenage years. Yeah, I can actually remember that far. And suddenly I was in video game mode. My brain wanted to dart in and out of the slower cars, drive on the shoulder, look for power pellets so we could go faster and faster, and then if we die, just recreate ourselves and go back into the game. We were going to defeat the ghosts and aliens. Our initials were going to be on that opening credit screen saying, the, this guy spent more quarters than all of you. And then it came to me. Why would anyone race to Waipahu? I mean... Me getting to Waipahu, let alone first, it's not going to save the world. 
it's not going to help Ms. Pac-Man to love me more. And I've never seen a freeway sign with the name of the fastest driver and how many points they scored unless there was a rest in peace on the side of it. So what's your ultimate goal for your life? I mean, you're not going to get out of this world alive unless Jesus comes back first. As awesome as it is to have your name on the list of the best of the best of the best, it seems those records don't last as long as they used to. And unless you're like 18 or 25, a lot of your life is behind you instead of in front of you. So what is the goal of the rest of your life, regardless of how long that may be? I mentioned last week that Mark's gospel was most likely written before the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD. It was probably written somewhere late 60s. The Jewish revolt has temporarily gained some ground and they've kicked the Romans out of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. Jerusalem's in the hands of the Jews. The temple and animal sacrifices are back to almost normal. It's been about 30 years since Jesus went back to heaven. The Christian church is fairly well established, and the apostles have worked through a lot of the questions that people are asking as they say, so what does this mean? Now, do you remember the disciples' favorite question? The one that no matter how many times Jesus answered it, like two-year-olds, they just would ask it over and over again, hoping for a different answer? Yeah, that question was, so Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? An accurate paraphrase. Do we get our golden crown scepters and thrones now so that we can make everybody do what we think they should do? Yeah. You know, when Mark wrote his gospel, there were still a few disciples asking that question. And also a few that were ready to pick up their swords, their shields, and their spears and drive the Romans out of the world so that they could reunite the spiritual world and the political world, regardless of what Jesus might have said. St. Mark instead directs him to a whole different reality. He emphasizes taking up your cross and... You know what, if you want to be first, you need to be last and servant of all. Jesus is neither the conquering king nor a doormat for the Romans. In his gospel, when the people in power ask Jesus, So, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus responds, Well, since you're about to crucify me, just like it says in Isaiah 53, it seems you think I am. And when they push him a little further, he finally says, Yes, I am. And whether out of fear or apathy, a few hours later, they nail him to a cross and kill him. Which, by the way, would make it very hard for anyone to believe that he was the Messiah, unless they were willing to wait three days. Even though Mark's favorite word is immediately, and he races through the life of Jesus like it's about to, uh, you know, the the clock is about to strike midnight and someone's going to leave behind a glass slipper so that you can find your Savior, there is also a sense that Mark wants his readers to take a deep breath, regardless of anything that's happening in their life or in this world. Because life, he says, is a journey of faith. It is not a race to an end. Our bodies are wired to respond to sights, sounds, and smells around us, especially, by the way, when those things are the result of crises. But God also wired us and our heart and our mind and our soul to prepare and respond to these things out of faith and hope, if we have the presence of mind to do so. See, every time I get on a plane, the flight attendant says, you know what, in case of emergency, which my friend in Alaska, Pilot Dan, says is an off-airport landing, They say, well, make sure you know where the nearest exit is. And by the way, it could be behind you. Follow the exit path lighting. Oh, and don't wait until the emergency to read that little brochure with the funny pictures because it really is better for you to read it before you need it. And don't forget to look out the window first because you don't want to jump into a fire. Oh, and have a nice flight. They don't give those instructions to scare us. They want us to know if something bad happens that there's an exit, that we can find the exit, and that they're going to be there to help us and guide us to safety.
Well, that's what St. Mark is doing in his gospel. For everyone, there will come a day, because nobody gets out of here alive, when you are going to have to leave this world. And it helps you to know ahead of time that there is an exit that leads to safety. And you need to look out the window first, because, by the way, there is an exit that leads to the flames. And you don't want to take that one. There aren't any funny pictures in the brochure God gave his people, unless you count the Good News Bible from the 1970s. But everything else in God's Word is there so you can familiarize yourself with the exit plan before you need it. As one kid put it, Bible stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. Enough said. You know, as a pastor, if I do nothing else, I want you to know that no matter how bad this world is and your life gets, there is an exit. I want you to know the exit is easy to find. I want you to know how to check the window to make sure that you don't take the exit that leads to the flames. And most importantly, I want you to know that you don't need to worry about how to open the door. That somebody will be there to open it for you. Because it's not your job. It's his. It also helps to know even if you have to wait at the door for what seems an eternity, you don't need to panic. He will be there to open it at just the right time. You know, the kingdom of God is an act of God. It's the will of God, and it's the work of God. Now, we might pray, Thy kingdom come in the Lord's prayer, and we might strategize about fulfilling the Great Commission, but God king, God's kingdom is going to come on its own, with or without us. So, this is something St. Mark tells us very, very clearly in his gospel. He wants us to take a couple of really deep breaths, because even though the world is out of our control, our God is not out of control. So Mark says, breathe in, breathe out, carefully and slowly, because God is in control. There's no sense in panicking. There is far more for us to do than panic. You know, each breath we take connects us to all the other unique and unreproducible miracles of God, who also happen to be very, very human, which is why we need to take these deep breaths, because it's our humanity that have brought about all these crises that well, are causing us such anxiety. In spite of 18 months of the pandemic, None of us are experts yet, and we need to remind ourselves of that. We're all learning to pivot and get done what needs to be done. And for all the things that cannot be done, or at least the things that we cannot do right now, and it doesn't matter why we can't do them, we need to give ourselves some grace. We learn to be, need to be gentle with ourselves and with the people around us. See, we are only human. This is what Jesus is getting to when the disciples come to him all puffed up and proud because they caught someone casting out demons in his name and because he wasn't one of them, the apostles say, hey, stop it. You don't have our permission. But instead of slapping them on the back and saying, good job, Jesus turns and he says, why would you do that? You see, in the Old Testament lesson, Joshua wants all the elders who, put God, who God put his spirit on to stop doing what they're doing. And Moses says, why? Are you jealous for my sake? I wish all of God's people would do such marvelous things. Think of what this world would be like if we were all filled with God's Spirit and doing God's work. And with those words, after I zigged and zagged you all over the place, we finally come to our theme for today. I wish everyone was filled with God's Spirit. I wish all of you ran around casting out demons. I wish everyone could sit with the dying and point to the exit and bring them comfort and hope. I wish everyone would turn to their neighbor and say, you're forgiven, now please forgive me. I wish everyone would be able to say, as St. Peter says, let me tell you about the hope that I have within me because of Jesus. I'd be very happy to order a thousand of these little plastic tabs and, uh, you know, give one to you, if that would make a difference. But even if I copied my Master of Divinity degree and put your name on it, 
That's not what you need. Fortunately, it's far simpler and easier than a white tab and a diploma for your wall. See, in 2 Corinthians 5, St. Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. All things have passed away and new things have come. Everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation to one another. When St. Paul wrote that, he was writing to the church in Corinth. But by the way, it might as well have been the church in Iaea or Pearl City or San Jose or, well, wherever else. There are cities. You see, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new is yours. It's a gift from God. Now, before you think it's a perfect you, as in everything that you romanticized and dreamed about, the you that would grace the cover of GQ or Cosmopolitan or Sports Illustrated or Time, I'm sorry to disappoint you. The truth is you're being made new from the inside out, starting with the soul and then working through the rest of you. And strangely enough, the only thing that slows the process down or stops it completely is you. Not because you don't want to be new, but because you're afraid to change. And you kind of like the old you, at least parts of it. And you're kind of hoping that God will allow some of those old parts to remain, even as he puts the new together. And by the way, that just clogs everything up. You see, like all deep cleaning, since we're talking about life and death and resurrection, it means that we have to embrace the new. We've got to let the old go. See, letting go creates space in our life. Letting go allows us to take a deep breath. Letting go allows us to slow down, even in the midst of anxious times. We can stop racing through this world and definitely to Waipahu as though we are going to win, to get our high score posted on the opening screen that somebody actually cares about such things. Letting go means surrendering to the one who loves us so deeply that he would and did pay whatever price it took in order to redeem us. So what is your ultimate goal for your life? You're not going to get out of this world alive unless Jesus does return first, and that is a possibility. But what is it that you're racing to? We see time as a passing of unrepeatable events, measured by clocks, calendars, and birthday candles. As followers of Jesus, though, we also believe in events that occur outside of clocks, calendars, and birthday candles, even though I know they also occur within those things. These are things like births and deaths, marriages, baptisms, moments of unusual beauty, pain, joy, and loss. It is in those moments we catch a glimpse of what our lives are really all about and what life is really all about. See, these moments teach us that this life is not a race or a competition. Oh, it is most definitely a contest of survival. But we are not pitted against each other. We are pitted against death and Satan and hell. And in the end, our life will not be measured by the events or the birthday candles, but whether or not we knew where the exit was. And if by faith we were willing to wait until Jesus opened it. I have to admit, I am not in a hurry to line up at the exit door. But the only real thing, and I really mean the only real thing that's on my bucket list, is to see Jesus opening the door and with a big smile on his face saying, Right this way, Mitch. And then I get to jump onto that giant big yellow slide and laugh and sing all the way to heaven. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.